Greetings and welcome to Season 4, Episode 1 of the Quadcast. I am John McAlevey. I'd also like to wish my listeners a very happy and, most importantly, healthy New Year. Yes, I said Season 4. Who knew that the little project that resided in the back of my head for so long would make it past Episode 1, let alone Season 1? But that is exactly where we are, and I am as proud as a peacock to still be able to find amazing people and tell their inspirational stories. Hopefully this podcast is making a difference, even in a small way. My guest today, Rosemary Rossetti, Ph.D., is a powerful, internationally recognized expert speaker, author, consultant, CEO, and founder of Rossetti Enterprises, LLC. She has a very strong work ethic instilled in her by her parents, and that work ethic would come in very handy following her spinal cord injury. Among the many topics Rosemary is so well-versed in, it is her knowledge and expertise in universal design and green building that set her apart. As you will hear, she picked up the pieces following her accident and has achieved so much over the years. For instance, she and her husband Mark led the design team, were the general contractors builders and since May 2012 have lived in the Universal Design Living Laboratory, the National Demonstration Home and Garden in Columbus, Ohio. It is the highest rated Universal Design Home in North America, earning three national certifications. Wow, have I whet your appetite for more? Well, good because following this brief commercial timeout for a public service announcement from the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, Rosemarie Rossetti is here. And that, my friends, is next. Did you know that one in every 50 Americans is living with some form of paralysis? The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation wants to change that. They are dedicated to discovering cures for spinal cord injury, by funding innovative research and improving the quality of life and health for all people living with paralysis. Make a difference, change a life, and redefine what it means to live with paralysis by joining the Reeve Foundation today. For more information, visit ChristopherReeve.org. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. Welcome back to the Quadcast, your weekly 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. Please now join me in welcoming the aforementioned and uber accomplished, resilient Rosemary Rossetti to the program. Hello, Rosemary, and thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, John. It's my pleasure. I am so happy we were able to get this on the calendar. We have been talking back and forth, and I will have you know that you are my first episode of season number four. Wonderful. Excellent. Well, all the best to you in season four, five, six, and seven. Oh, I like the sound of that. That's great. So usually, Rosemary, what I like to do with all of my shows is I like to begin at the beginning. So where did you grow up and what were some things you enjoyed doing as a young person? Well, I'm a native of Columbus, Ohio. I still live here, so it is my hometown. Um, all my education um, was uh, centered around what is going to be my career. I always enjoyed being a student, so it turned my attention to wanting to be a teacher. So all my uh, studies in high school and in college were geared at being a teacher someday. 
Um, my my youth, I could see myself riding a bicycle, playing board games with the neighbors, probably a lot of Monopoly games. I did a lot of work around our house. I mowed the grass and I helped with the gardening. I was a very active Girl Scout leader, and we had meetings at our school all the way through grade school, earning merit badges. My mother and father owned a carryout, so I was there quite a bit helping out. Most of the time cleaning, that was my role of uh, helping keep that carryout running nice and clean. Awesome. I also helped helped my mother a lot with cooking because she had to cook meals for my brother and father who were at the carryout during the day. And then she would uh, cook their meals and I would assist. And then my father and brother would come home and eat dinner while she went back to the carryout to work. Music was a big part of our family. We had music playing a lot of the time during the day. And so I would be listening to the radio or Eventually, they bought some records into the house. Awesome. Um, so those were my, my younger years. In high school, I was very much an academic, uh, very uh, very high on the academic level, um, studying and taking part in everything possible, including uh, being on the basketball and track team. I worked while I was in high school at two different grocery stores, and I also worked at um, a flower shop and a garden center and grocery stores while I was in college to work my way through college. Boy, you certainly didn't um, let any grass grow under your feet, Rosemary. Well, you know, my parents uh, instilled upon me the the ideals of working hard to be a success. They were very dedicated and put everything they had into their business and being a family business of just um, my family working there, they had to work hard. They were open seven days a week, sure, all the way from ten o'clock in the morning till sometimes eleven o'clock at night. So yes. I came from a hardworking family. Mm-hmm. Now, excuse um, me, but if you could just tell me a carryout, what is a carryout? It's like a little grocery store. It okay. sells. Um, the essentials of food, and then it also has beer and wine and sodas. Gotcha. My favorite was the candy case. <laughs> we had a gigantic candy case under the uh, cash register and counter, and mm-hmm. and that was my job to dust the candy case. Okay, so there'd be a few of the few of the bars of candy in a big brown paper bag that they would let me take home with mm. me. Oh, that was the fruits of your labor. There you go. Have a little candy there. That's great. Now, you mentioned Columbus, Ohio. I am a huge sports fan, So, uh, and I saw in your resume that you are a graduate of the Ohio State University, as I know that the, the athletes like to say. Tell us about your earliest um, rooting for the Buckeyes. I'm, I'm sure you were a fan, and, and how many times had you been to the horse you before you enrolled in school there? Um, Going to the football games was not a part of my life prior to being in college. Um, And as well as in college, I did not have tickets to the game while I was in college. I was working on Saturdays. I couldn't go to any of the games uh, and didn't really follow the football schedule very often because okay. I was very dedicated to my classes and to working all the time at the grocery store. Okay. But I then joined the faculty later. Um, when I joined the faculty, then I was 
uh, able to purchase two tickets as a, a premiere. So, of course, I had season tickets. Good. And I would take my brother Richard with me for many, many seasons to see the games. That is awesome. And they've been they've been so good, you know, year in and year out. Again, this year they were in the the bowl championship series. Unfortunately they didn't they didn't make it to the, the championship game, but they're always there knocking on the door. And um I've I've always that's sort of one of my bucket list things, Rosemary, is to um take in a game in Columbus because I've watched especially those Michigan Ohio State games on television for so long and you know, watch all the, the pregame stuff where all the fans are out tailgating and everybody's in either uh maize and blue or or the scarlet red and it's something that I'd like to get a couple of buddies together and see if we could go out to a game. I'm sure it will be a lot of fun. That would be epic. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move the ball uh, down through school a little bit further. You're now in college and you're planning, you know, what your life is going to be. Is it still, are you still thinking of teaching or what is the goal right now as you're, as you're entering college and then thinking into the future? Yeah, still was uh, to be a teacher and I wanted to teach horticulture in high school as a senior, I took a class in horticulture as an elective and really blossomed there. I really enjoyed everything about growing plants and artistically arranging plants and studying and identifying plants. So when I went to Ohio State University for my bachelor's degree, I was fortunate enough they had a dual major program. So I had a major also in uh, agricultural education with horticulture. Mm -hmm. So there was a perfect blend of wanting to be a horticulture teacher at the end of my college um, four years there. And indeed I did. That was my first love. And I was uh, fortunate to be hired immediately to teach horticulture at a career center near Columbus. Awesome. That's great. It, it all came together. And take us through now, um, a day in the life of Rosemary Rossetti prior to your accident. What were you doing? Um, and uh, tell us what, as I said, a day in the life was like for you, your life at that point. Well, let me take you back to some time before the accident, which would have been June of 98 is when I was hit. So if we just take it back maybe a year or six months, what yes. would I have been doing yeah. in 97 and prior to June of 98? I had started my business, Rossetti Enterprises, in January of 97 after leaving my faculty position at Ohio State University. I had been at the faculty for 11 years teaching public speaking and teaching methods. And in 97, in January, I left to begin my own business to do the same type of work. I had also established a company with a co-author, Chuck Powell, and I wrote a book. And this was about five years prior to my injury. The book is The Healthy Indoor Plant. And we were the publishers. We wrote it. We distributed it. So where would I have been six months before my injury? I would have been in my lower level of my house where the publishing company was housed. I would have been boxing up books and getting them ready to ship to universities, community colleges, and the professional um, interior landscape businesses. Um, so I was working 
as a uh, trainer. I had a contract with a Canadian company, Friesian K and Associates. They hired me immediately when I resigned from OSU to travel throughout North America delivering their course, a train the trainer course that was three day program. So that was um, my life then. I was I was at the top of my game. I had my own businesses. The book was selling well. I was really happy working for this company. And uh, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm making so much more money than I was at the university. Why didn't I leave there <laughs> earlier? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, well, and things... I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. We were traveling for leisure. We were traveling for business. Yeah. I was very active, rollerblading, hiking, skiing, playing tennis, playing racquetball, yeah. um, biking, well, everything. You know, Mark and I were married and um June of 95. And so okay. we had moved into a new house then and the new business and travel was great. Yeah. And I was just on top of the world at that point. As they say, life was good. And then uh, you've mentioned it uh, previously, June 13, 1998 rolls around. Why don't you tell us what do you remember about the day leading up to it? And then uh, right before your accident, right after and then you know what what are you thinking as um you know the ambulance and everything starts to get there for you yes it was a saturday it was a beautiful day no wind or rain and my husband and i were celebrating our third wedding anniversary his mother and father and sister had driven to our home in columbus from cincinnati to have lunch with us and celebrate our wedding anniversary uh, so we decided to go for a bicycle ride after they left and drove to uh, a nearby town, Granville, Ohio, one of our favorite bike trails. Mm-hmm. Um, we were riding our bikes on that trail after about 10 minutes, and uh, suddenly the scene turned tragic. My husband heard what he thought was a gunshot, and he slowed down and looked around, and that's when he saw a tree halfway to the ground. I remember him yelling, stop, you know, look over there, stop. But there was nothing I could do. I didn't see it. I just continued biking in front of him. Fortunately, he jammed on his brakes on the bike and jumped off his bike. Or he had been under that 7,000-pound tree with the power lines tumbling down on top of me, instantly paralyzing me from the waist down. Oh, my goodness. So it was just a surreal experience. I was unconscious. Mark uh, was there without a cell phone, screaming for help, anybody that would hear him on that bike trail. And uh, fortunately, another couple happened to be riding that day and came to his aid so that they lifted the limb that had pinned me the most. I was in a fetal position. I still had a helmet on my head. My feet were still attached to the bike pedals. Mm. Uh, They got me out from the bike and out from under that big limb. And that's when I woke up. Rosemary, uh, what, do they have any idea as to what caused the tree to fall? I mean, had there been a lot of rain? Was Was the ground just so, you know, pliable that the tree was so heavy and that it fell? I mean, what was the, did just a freak accident? Is that what it turned out to be? Well, you could call it that or you could call it neglect. We did have a big lawsuit trying to prove negligence. We did not win the lawsuit, but 
our lawyer team uh, surmised that it was definitely neglect in terms of the way the tree had been pruned by the um, electric utility company over time and that it was compromised in its health. But, you know, why did it fall? Could it have been a bird that landed on it? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And I'm sure you play that scenario in your mind a thousand times. You know, maybe if you... If you had gotten there a little bit later or if, or if you had one red light on your trip to the bike park, you know, you would have been behind. Or if you were, you know, you didn't have a lot uh, all those things, I'm sure, play out in your mind. Yeah, you just have to put that aside and say, okay, now what? I'm exactly. on a different path. I was on that trail. The trail stopped me in my tracks. Now go another way. Yes. What am I going to do? Yes. So where were you taken, Rosemary, and what did the doctors tell you initially? Well, I was life flighted from the scene by helicopter, and the surgery was four and a half hours long. I woke up Sunday in intensive care with my husband by my side, learning that I had a spinal cord injury. I was in intensive care at the hospital in downtown Columbus for five days and then transported by ambulance to the Ohio State University to the Dodd Hall Rehabilitation Hospital, where I spent really the summer, uh, five weeks in 98. Doctors, uh, of course, came to see me. They did what tests were needed. Um, At the time, I couldn't even hold a pencil in my hand. Mm. Um, I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't move from the waist down. And they they determined that it was possible that it was an incomplete spinal cord injury and that I would have some recovery and be able maybe to walk with crutches and braces on my legs someday. Mm -hmm. But there'd be a two-year window of additional recovery with occupational therapy and physical therapy ahead of me. Right. So in July, I was um, discharged from the rehabilitation center as an inpatient and came home in a wheelchair from the hospital for the first time. Oh, boy. You know, as we know, um, SCIs affect us all physically, obviously, because, you know, once you bang up your cord, it, it will never be the same from the level of that injury down. I mean, you make de- definitely make recoveries, but things will never go back to being the same. Um, so they affect us physically. But what a lot of people that don't have a spinal cord injury realize is how much they affect us mentally as well. How did you initially react to the fact that you have a spinal cord injury and you were going to have to learn how to live life new again? Well, waking up in the intensive care, I was happy to be alive. Quite frankly, when I was sedated with the anesthesia for the surgery, the last thought on my mind was, will I ever wake up from this? I thought this was going to be the end of my life. Mm -hmm. So waking up and seeing all the machines and all the things that they had hooked me up to, I just said, whatever it was, I have a second chance. So I did have a a good feel of attitude that I would work through this. Mm -hmm. But boy, did I realize the pain and uh, the sudden grief, the loss, the depression, everything in my life was ruined. You know, how would I continue my publishing company? How would I continue my relationship with Mark as a cripple, as an invalid, um, as someone who could just lay here in bed and be fed by him. That wasn't fair to him. And everything about life in terms of everything I had worked for, what was going to happen next? Mm -hmm. So 
there was huge depression on my part as well as Mark's. Yeah. Um, and we realized that we had to get through this. And there were a couple of turning points. One for me was reading the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Okay. I, I credit that as one of the major turning points to understand what is the meaning of life. Um, and, and that was love. That was the answer I came up with. If, mm. if really I loved Mark and I loved my mother and my brothers and all my neighbors and friends, that I had to move forward and not just check out of life, but move into life and do whatever I could. Yes. So that was one turning point. The second was hiring a counselor, a grief counselor, a marriage counselor. And she came to my home um, on a weekly basis for almost a year to work with Mark and I on the depression, on the grieving, to work with what was happening in terms of our thoughts and how we were dealing with this. That's amazing. I haven't had anybody tell me that they've done that. I know to this day, I work at uh, Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation here in New Jersey, and I am the peer counseling coordinator. And what I do is, Rosemary, I I try to match up newly injured folks with people who have similar type injuries and have been living in the community with them for a number of years just to serve as a sounding board, you know, for questions or concerns or, you know, it's one thing for these people to, to talk to their doctors or their OTs and PTs and their friends. But, you know, they're able-bodied. It's another thing to talk to someone who is disabled and is sort of living in their shoes. And so I guess it's sort of along those same lines. They were able to, you were able to get your questions and concerns out, you and your husband, and it it really helped you. That's very interesting. Yes, it was. It was a a wonderful experience. Um, And and thankfully, she actually came to our home for the appointments Mm -hmm. because her office was not wheelchair accessible. And she lived less than a mile from us. So it just worked out well. Mm. How important were family and friends to your recovery? I know I could have never made it uh, without such a great support staff. Did you have the same in your in your recovery? Oh, my staff was uh, five gold medal stars. Uh, Mark, of course, my hero, my husband, he had been married only three years to me, Mm -hmm. but totally committed to caring for me, loving me, supporting me, being at the rehab hospital every day and working at home throughout the two years of um, outpatient. I was an outpatient for two more years for three days a week. Yeah. There was a lot of exercises that we had to do every single day mm-hmm. to continue that therapy. Mm. Um, my mother, my brothers, my friends, my neighbors, uh, my neighbors hired a lawn mowing service for our um, lawn care at home. They came on a weekly basis to clean our home. They brought us food and very comforting to come to see me while I was in the hospital. So yeah. those that neighbor cluster, they like eight of them, they all just got together and pulled their money and took turns on coming to our house to clean it mm. and took turns on bringing us food. <laughs> it was all coordinated. Isn't it amazing? And that was in the, the early weeks of uh, coming together. Yeah. Uh, and then a big a big shout out to the National Speakers Association, of which I was a member at the time. I had financial support from the foundation, and they gave me $5,000 immediately to do whatever I needed mm. to do with it. And that's what I used to pay my personal care attendant who worked for me 
every day for the first year to get me out of bed and to dress me and to take me to my therapy appointments. And then my Ohio chapter, the National Speakers Association, they had an auction one day. They raised enough money to buy me a brand new Dodge Grand Caravan. Oh, wow. It was just, it was just, I couldn't believe that they gave me this money right then. Here, Rosemary, this is for you. Go buy your van. And then others would give me free coaching and free consulting from their own time as fellow consultants and speakers to help me rebuild the business, turn it into a motivational program Mm -hmm. and help me write articles and uh, form speeches. So I can't uh, imagine what life would have been like without my family from birth as well as my speaker family through the National Speakers Association. Yeah. Isn't it overwhelming at times to think what other people go out of their way to do? I mean, you know, the old saying, a friend in need is a friend indeed. And it sounds like in your case, you had quite the support staff that that went the extra mile for you when you were in your your toughest points. Yes, I did. They oh. were um, they were amazing, and they still are. It's not not like they left me. They're yeah. still my best friends. Good. Well, that's nice to know. And I heard you mention earlier occupational therapy. You know, that's I didn't know what OT was before I had my accident. Uh, and and as we talked about, when when you hear someone has a spinal cord injury, everybody seems to want to know is oh, are they going to walk again? Are they going to walk again? And you know, very rarely do people say, well, is so-and-so going to be able to brush their teeth or button their shirts or do that kind of stuff? So I know that um, you were seemed to be drawn to OT. Was that maybe the beginnings of your interest in universal design? Like maybe you saw some things that, that were not out there that with the help of a good occupational therapist sort of opened that part of your mind towards uh, helping people? Well, before I was able to leave the OSU Rehabilitation Hospital, they wanted to make sure that my home was going to be able to be accessed in terms of getting in, getting out. Uh, What was the bathroom like? What was the bedroom like? How would I be able to use the kitchen? So definitely the occupational therapist that came to my home and helped work that through so that we could see what doors had to come off, what furniture needed to go in the basement, um, what furniture needed to move uh, to understand how to uh, have a patient discharged. Their house had to work for them or why bring them home? So there were some, some things that had to happen. And there was a person that's a friend of ours who was also in a wheelchair and she volunteered to come to our home before my discharge and roll through it with my husband and say, here, move this here. This is going to be a problem for her. So I can't thank her enough for showing Mark the way. And that then was great. Mark would, Mark would draw out the, the floor plan of our home and bring it to the, um, hospital um, occupational therapist and say, here, here's the configuration of our current bedroom and bathroom. What do we do? Yes. That's great. So they sort of got you prepared for when you did get home. And so how was that the the first, you know, couple of weeks that you're back home? Was it, um, you know, living, first of all, it was good to be home. I know that everybody wants to get back to their home. But how was it now being in that home in a wheelchair and trying to cope with things that may have been tougher for you to do now? 
Well, initially, there was no way to get in the home except for Mark lifting me in the wheelchair and, and lifting me step by step into the front door. So we had uh, had a, tr- a trial there to say, how strong are you, Mark? <laughs> right. And he, he was very strong, and he's six foot four, and I didn't weigh very much at oh, the time. Wow. And uh, so it was pretty easy to just lift me over the steps in the front porch mm-hmm. and up into the house. So uh, I, I was in a wheelchair from the hospital, so it was just a loner. Yep. It wasn't the one that's really lightweight and very small. Sure. And so it was difficult. I didn't have a lot of strength, and I was in a neck brace and a full body brace at the time. And so rolling on the carpet was impossible. Mark had to push me into the living room and into the kitchen where finally – I could roll on the vinyl flooring, and that's right. it. That's as far as I could go. Oh, I could man. stay in the kitchen. Anywhere else in the carpeting, he had to be there to push me around. Oh, God, um, so it was not easy. And mm. Anything in the wall cabinets, forget that. I couldn't even get a glass of water out. Oh. I couldn't reach the sink. I couldn't wash clothes. We had a top-loading washer. It's just, it was not working. No. This is not going to work. Very yeah. frustrated. I'm the cook in the family, and the oven door was in my way. The microwave was above the cooktop. Oh, jeez. Like, oh, my gosh. Boy, We're not hu- going to be able to live here very long. Your husband, Mark, must be a saint for all that uh, all that he had to uh, to take on his shoulders when all of this happened. Well, I couldn't have picked a better um, life partner, absolutely. Mm. Rosemary, tell us what universal design and the vital needs that it fulfills are. Well, think of it as a framework of designing um, spaces, built environments. It could be a house, it could be a condo, it could be a workplace. So universal design is not just for people with disabilities. It's human-centered design, accommodating people of all sizes, all ages, and all abilities. Um, So we also have the design of products to make those easier for people to use. So an environment like a home with universal design features and products makes life easier, not only for those with mobility limitations, but also for those who are young, old, short, or tall. And so in designing our new home, um, as I mentioned, Mark is 6'4", and in my wheelchair, I'm (laughs) 4'1". So we had to take into account, you know, the counter heights. What do I want? What does he want? Yes. And um, those parameters had to be um, beautifully designed, integrated design, not looking like it was a special design. Oh, that counter was created just for Rosemary. No, it's usable by all people. Sure, sure. And Rosemary, forgive me, but what is green building as well? Well, it's a sustainable um, approach, another framework. And when we built our home, we wanted it to be very sustainable, very green Mm -hmm. in terms of um, not only the social sustainability, and that's where the universal design comes in, so that all people can use the house and you don't have to remodel it and tear it up should someone in the family acquire uh, a limitation later and then say, oh, my gosh, why did we put in these 32-inch doors instead of 36-inch wide doors? Sure. So it's sustainable from the social aspect and the environmental aspect in terms of 
utilizing uh, practices that you're not using so much water and you're using the sun perhaps for an energy source okay. and being very energy efficient with all of the um, features to have wonderful windows and insulation uh, to keep the house cool in the summer and warm in the winter. Sure. Rosemary, please tell us about the Universal Design Living Laboratory in Columbus, Ohio. I understand your husband, Mark, and your fingerprints are all over the highest rated Universal Design home in North America. That's where I'm speaking to you from. We have lived here since May of 2012. Um, This is a national demonstration home, the Universal Design Living Laboratory, and anyone can see the home virtually on our website and take a virtual tour. I did. Um, at the simp- yeah, you got to see it. Oh, it's right. awesome. It is so cool. I was really, I was showing my mom. I had her in here. We were all looking at it. I know she's a big HGTV person. She likes to watch all these shows where they're building houses. You know, they build these houses in a half an hour show that take months and months. But it really is remarkable. I urge my listeners to please go on. If you could plug the website again for them, Rosemary, and so that they can take a, uh, a virtual tour. It's just four letters of the alphabet, UDLL.com. Stands for the Universal Design Living Laboratory. Take the virtual tour, take the video tour, um, read the articles. Uh, Also, we had over 200 sponsors, corporations contributing the products and services, as well as hundreds of volunteers. And you'll be able to see the products that are in our home and who were the contributors. We have three national universal design certifications and two national green building certifications. It was a 10-year journey. Um, John, I I can't believe it took that long, but hiring the architect in 2004, um, buying the property uh, to build this house, and then the groundbreaking in 2009, it was 32 months of construction. Um, And then we moved in in 2012 and continued working on the landscape and finishing the basement. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen until 2014. So there's the 10 year journey. Wow. Uh, then we opened it to the public for public tours for a month. And we've had tours by appointment since we've um, been building and moving in. Uh, we've had over 3,500 people physically in our home for tours We also built a classroom in the lower level so that we could um, continue to spread information and help the builders, the realtors, the interior designers, as well as consumers about how to build a home that will accommodate you for life. Wow. So this is is truly your baby from conception until construction and whatnot. When did you start thinking about a project like this? And was it something that your husband was, was all in with you? I mean, you guys were planning this all together. And then, um, you know, as far as getting the architect and all from, from the minute you had the idea in your head until completion, how long did that go? We had the idea of building something new after the accident. After a couple of years, it wasn't obvious that I was going to walk again. So we said, this isn't going to work long term. We started looking around for an existing home and said, we can't find anything that's going to work. So let's just build something new. Mm -hmm. And so we started looking at what builders were building in terms of a ranch style home. 
And again, we couldn't find anything in a ranch-style home that was going to work for us. Right. So we said, what if we hired an architect to redesign a home that a builder could build for us? And mm-hmm. that's when we hired the architect in 2004. Yeah. All right, take it from there to 2005. This was the big turning point. I was with members of the National Speakers Association in a mastermind setting, and there were eight of us in Orlando, Florida. It was the first time meeting with this mastermind group. Okay. We had been at the International Builders Show looking around at different features and products for our home that we were going to build. We had free tickets. It's another story that I won't get into, (laughs) but I decided to go and start learning about what could be in this home. 2005 in January, we're in front of a group of eight people that had this brilliant idea to make it a national demonstration home. Mm -hmm. We give them the credit or the blame for this idea to say, are you kidding me? You want us to do what? (laughs) So they said, build it to be a national demonstration home, get sponsors to help you make it green. And this becomes your platform for your future speaking, consulting and writing. Unbelievable. We could, we could not, even comprehend the scope of that and said, this is a brilliant idea, but we can't do this alone. Right. You've got to help us. Mm-hmm. You've got to stay with us and guide us through this process mm-hmm. as a mastermind. And they did. And we brought in a lot more people. Uh, we were not the experts. So we hired some additional people to guide us. Sure. Rosemary, how often over the years have folks from the disabled community reached out to you uh, whether it be some of the big, you know, rehab hospitals or just folks who have Googled you and, and saw the remarkable work that you did uh, for yourself and for those of us in the community. How many times have, have people reached out to you to get some guidance and maybe some information on how they might be able to do maybe not such a large scale project that you and your husband did, but just, you know, for someone that's coming home to their house? I get calls and emails constantly, and I I don't keep track of the number of times. It could be a a family that has a child, and they say, we're going to build a new home. Can you help us with it? And they'll come over with the plans, or they'll send them to us. We do charge for consulting. My husband works with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are some projects like that. There's also um, developers that are developing apartments with universal design, as well as Habitat for Humanity had me on their national task force to create their construction standards. Um, So I've worked with a lot of organizations, as well as individuals and business people on helping them with the, the design. That's what comes first. Yes. Yes. I've seen a lot of commercials recently for some of the, uh, like the wounded warriors and the tunnel to towers folks here. I live in New York and, and they, they donate these amazing, you know, homes for these gentlemen and ladies and gentlemen who unfortunately are injured on the battlefields and it's the well-deserved. I mean, they, they deserve all our respect and, uh, but you can see like they have different cooktops for these gentlemen. I, one of the commercials is he's pulled, pulling the, the, the cabinets down that can reach to his level 
And um, so things like that are amazing. I'm sure that maybe through the years they've picked your brain on certain things like that, perhaps. Oh, yes. I've had their floor plans in my possession, helping them as they uh, say, you know, take another look. Here's what we're currently doing. What what have we missed? Yeah. So they send me floor plans and I take a look at it. Oh, that must feel good for you to, to, to be able to contribute and help, you know, pay it forward kind of a thing, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, great. Yes. Now, I know, Rosemary, you're an author, you're a public speaker, a consultant, a podcaster, a webinar presenter, and more. So is there one of those disciplines that you like more, and why? And if so, why? I love speaking. I love being on site in front of a live audience. I guess it comes back from my love of teaching. Mm-hmm. And so my ability to be a teacher from a stage um, to speak about disability inclusion for meetings and events, to speak about universal design in the workplace um, or in the home, or speaking to a group of vacation rental property owners about attracting more people. So my sweet spot is being in front of live audiences. Nice. You know, I, I did, uh, and in doing my research, I went online and watched a couple of your speeches and you really have a way to, to captivate the audience, you know, from your your intonation and the way you lead uh, folks into your next subject matter. It's a gift. And um, I'm glad to hear that you say that. And and how about writing the books? Is, are you still into uh, writing and, or have you put that on the back burner for a little bit? Oh, my gosh, no. It's full burner, speed ahead. I am writing a new one. Okay. Um, The new book is about accessible home design for older adults and people with disabilities. Um, My book that was the predecessor is the Universal Design Toolkit, which I wrote a few years ago. Um, And we're just looking at that from another set of lenses saying, all right, let's go deeper into that subject Mm -hmm. for the consumer market where – the Universal Design Toolkit had a broader audience in terms of builders and interior designers as well as the consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is is coming together well. I'm writing the proposal now, and I'm probably not going to self-publish as I did with the Universal Design Toolkit. Okay. I'm, I'm looking now for a literary agent to represent me to send this proposal out to um, major publishing companies so I can have a much broader audience and reach. Sure. And I can imagine over the years how things have sort of picked up some speed. Um, Is there anything new, maybe technology-wise, that you will utilize in a new universal design home that maybe wasn't around 10, 15, 20 years ago? What is sort of the cutting-edge thing that, that you were looking into and saying, wow, I need to include this on any new builds or or ideas that I have in the future? Well, our home has been here now for 10 years, and Mark is already deconstructing some things. (laughs) I'm like, why are you taking those light switches out? So he's upgrading some of the light switches here, um, as well as the entertainment systems. Um, But our houses work so well. It's like, what what more could we add to this house? It's not something that we're going to deconstruct a lot and um, little simple things would be fine. But I'd love to um, hear what the Consumer Electronics Show brought. They had a whole section of the show in Las Vegas recently that was dedicated to accessibility. So I've got some people on the scenes there and, Mm. of course, the magazines 
have promised the next edition of the magazines for um, like Paralyzed Veterans of America, the PVA. Yes. They're going to have a, a nice story about it. They're sending people there to scope it out. So I'll be looking at social media and printed materials to see what was at the Consumer Electronics Show, as well as the International Builders Show that was just, um, just I think it's just finishing up now. Um, so there's always new products that come out that come my way yes. in terms of um, plumbing. Um, yeah, there's some major advances in touchless faucets and and preset temperatures. Uh, making it so much easier to turn on and turn off things. See, that's what I need because as I was telling you before we started recording, I have little to no use of my arms, hands, and fingers. So uh, to get into the shower, I have to, you know, I'm able to turn the faucet on, but I have to put my head under to feel the temperature of the water so that, uh, you know, I don't burn myself. But Things like that. I asked you about cutting edge stuff. So that that's something that I am going to be keeping my eye on as far as if there's anything new along those lines. Now, I know we've talked a lot about your husband, Mark. What do you and Mark do for fun in your leisure time when you're not working and we writing are, and speaking? <laughs> we'd love to uh, bike and kayak. And when the weather is nice, we're gone every weekend. Mm-hmm. So we have a trailer that holds our three-wheeled recumbent bikes. I can ride with my legs. I have special bike cleats on my shoes and to snap onto the pedals. And I have a special brace, uh, ankle foot orthotic. And uh, I take off on my bike in the neighborhood. We'll probably be riding today. If it's over 45 degrees and not windy or rainy, we will ride from our home into the neighborhood. On a, and then we have a recumbent bike in our basement as an exercise bike. So yes. we're bikers and uh, kayakers. We'd love to travel for fun and mix our business with our pleasure trips. That's we also go out to eat and uh, love, to, love to dine and try to go out at least once a week just to get away. Yes. We both work at home. He works for me. Um, supporting me and my business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm swimming now back at the uh, YMCA. Now that the pandemic is over, I've um, renewed my membership and working out of strength training and swimming over there. That's great. You know, I found, you mentioned the pandemic. I found out the hard way uh, when everything locked down, I could not get out to do uh, therapy. I couldn't do my PT and OT. I'm sure you probably fell into that as well. And, you know, the older I get, I just had a birthday last week. I turned 55 and uh, I tell people I don't feel Happy a, birthday. Thank you very much. I, I, my birth certificate says 55, but I swear I don't feel a day over 167. <laughs> but uh, I found out during the lockdown, you know, the old saying, Rosemary, move it or lose it. It's so true. I mean, my body so yeah. atrophied that, that I am really paying the price now. Um, you know, the older I get and I tell my friends, I just had some buds over here for, for dinner over the weekend and, you know, who's putting on a couple of pounds and, you know, no one's, we're not teenagers anymore. And I told them, whatever you guys do, able-bodied too, you have to continue to do something, move it or lose it because it goes quickly. Do you find the same thing? Oh yes. My, uh, my regime is 30 minutes a day to do something, mm. uh, whether it's getting out on the bike in the neighborhood or kayaking or going to the lower level and getting on the recumbent bike or the dual cable cross or the hand sure. weights 
or something. I've got to do at least 30 minutes a day somewhere. Yeah, that's a good goal. Um, and then sometimes it's, you know, I could be out for two or three hours on a lovely weekend doing an hour and a half kayak and then go back and go to the bike trail for another hour and a half. Sure. And, and that's easy for me to do a three hour Saturday. Yeah. That's nice. And it's good. It's good for your mind, body, and soul. I know to, to get out of the workplace, get out of the house and, you know, treat yourself uh, along those lines. And why don't we finish it up this way, Rosemary? It's usually the last question that I ask all of my uh, guests who have had spinal cord injuries. And I'll tell you where it came from. I was waiting one afternoon with a buddy of mine who, it's crazy. We went to high school together. He was a couple of years older than me in high school. And then, you know, fast forward all these years and both of us had had traumatic spinal cord injuries, but we're, we're waiting in the hallway to go in and see our doctor. And I just turned to him and I said, Hey, Tommy, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied once again, what is the first thing that you would do? And I could see the smoke pouring out of his ears as he was trying to think of an answer. And, and behind me, I heard a woman say, I would go out into my yard and garden. And then there was a guy in front of me said, I would go out into the garage and work on my, you know, woodworking skills. And I thought, geez, I, I guess I was talking a little too loud, but I said, this is something that I'm going to have to put into a podcast. And so I put the question to you, Rosemary Rosetti, if I could snap my fingers right now when you, you would be completely able-bodied again, what's the first thing that you would do? I would stand up from my wheelchair and I would walk over to Mark's office and I would grab his hand. I would turn on some fast paced music and we would be dancing throughout our home as a celebration. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. You were a dancer beforehand and you're going to be a dancer again. I love that. And we danced with a wheelchair. We, uh, we were out New Year's Eve in a, in a huge ballroom here in Columbus and Mark and I took wheelchair dancing lessons, so we're pretty good on the dance floor. That's terrific. What a great answer. And uh, I want to thank you, Rosemary Rosetti, for joining me today. Um, it has been a great pleasure to learn not only about your story, but about universal design and how what you are doing benefits so many of us in the community. As I told you, I work at Kessler, so I am there where folks are newly injured. They kind of don't know what just happened to them. The rug just got pulled out from under them. And I see the OTs working with them on, you know, these are the folks that are in wheelchairs on getting them prepared to go home. And they really don't know what they're going to encounter when they get there. But um, so I get to see it on the, the early side. And then when they come back again in six months to a year, it's nice to see that they've said, yeah, we had some rough patches there, but we're, we're finally up to speed and we're, we're moving things along here. And so uh, for all you do to contribute to them and, uh, and the community and all that you're going to do in the future, I say thank you. And I so appreciate you joining me today. Well, thank you. And if anyone wants to continue the conversation, please reach out to me, uh, Rosemary at rosemarysepeaks.com. My main website for the business is rosemarysepeaks.com. So feel free to reach out to me, see if I can help you in any way. You heard it, folks. Rosemary has offered to answer questions or concerns you might have. So please reach out. She has a wealth of information on many, many topics. Thank you again for joining me, Rosemary, and keep up all of the great work you do on behalf of our community. Thanks, as always, to my mixer, Chris Parapesco at Harbor Picture Company in New York City. And until next time, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't